Thanks, Dave, for that, and a warm welcome I always have when I'm up here, either having breakfast with your pastor, Gabe, or the both times that I've been up here to teach, it's always a great time to come up, and I, uh, this is the first time I've actually seen your building. Last time you were downtown, and so I was excited to come up, so when he asked, I was glad to do it. Why don't we just bow for a word of prayer as we begin our time tonight? Father, we do thank you for our opportunity to be together. We love you and we love your word. We thank you that you have given it to us that we might learn of you and how we are to be as your children. Lord, I ask that you would bless our time tonight, that your word would would be uh, effective upon our hearts and our minds as we think about the truth that that we're going to look at. And Lord, we pray that in doing it all, as we live and as we walk out of this place, that Jesus Christ would be exalted above all things, that our lives would reflect your character and mercy upon our lives, and others would see in us Jesus Christ, that they might turn to him and know what salvation is. So thank you for this time. Bless it unto our Savior's name, and uh, unto his glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we uh, come to our time in the study of the Word of God tonight, I want to do something just a bit different than maybe I do on a regular basis, because obviously next Lord's Day is what Hallmark likes to refer to as Mother's Day, and uh, we certainly want to uh, highlight our moms when when we get the opportunity to do that. I want to take a, a moment this evening to address all of us just as Christians, about how easy it is to be a fool, how easy it is to not only be one, but to, as parents and as grandparents, to raise fools. That sounds rather strange to to think about things that way, especially biblically, but I I just think sometimes if we hear them in in an opposite way, sometimes we, we sit up and pay attention a little more as to what the Bible might be saying to us. Some time ago in our church, I taught a message on how to raise a fool, how to think through that, and I've been asked by people in our church if I could teach that again in the near future, and so I want to touch on that in our church next Lord's Day, but I thought I would revisit it for our time tonight as we think about it uh, here together. Some of us here are not parents, obviously. Some of us aren't grandparents. And that's okay. There are, uh, there may be a time in your life when you will be uh, one or both of those. And so, what we are about to look at in Scripture really isn't necessarily directed only for parents or grandparents, but really for all of us as Christians, because each one of us will have influence, and we do have influence upon those that are around us. And so, for that fact, the truths that we're going to look at tonight are profitable for any of us, no matter what stage of life we are at. Uh, Just a month ago, my wife and I welcomed into our extended family our eighth grandchild. I know I don't look that old, but we have eight grandchildren, and sometimes I jokingly say to my wife that I can't believe I'm married to a grandmother, and of course she slugs me or elbows me in the side and And yet, um, it is just amazing to us that we are grandparents, and it seems a bit odd for her and I to think of ourselves as grandparents, Um, but the reality is that we are, and we're growing older, 
And while growing old doesn't necessarily consume our thoughts and our minds, we do think often about the heritage that we are going to leave behind us to not only our children, but also our grandchildren when we're gone. And so that's what I want to think about tonight. Some time ago, some of you know the name Paul Harvey, the radio newsman who died some years ago, used to have a radio program and would give interesting facts about things in the news. And he gave a description of of fatherhood in his description, but I think it's appropriate for all parents and grandparents, really. Uh, And he said this, what it means to those who are left behind, what fatherhood means. He said this, a father is a creature that is forced to endure childbirth without anesthetic. A father growls when he feels good and laughs when he's scared half to death. A father never feels worthy of the worship in a child's eyes. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks him to be, never quite the man his son believes him to be, and this worries him at least sometimes. He said, so he works too hard to try to smooth the rough places in the road for those of his own who will follow him. A father gets angry when the school grades aren't good enough, so he scolds his son even though he knows it was the teacher's fault. He said, he, a father gives his daughter away to another man who is not nearly good enough so he can have grandchildren who are smarter than anybody else. And a father makes bets with insurance companies about who will live the longest, and one day he loses, and the bet gets paid off to those he leaves behind. Of course, this is Paul Harvey, a man who, as far as I know, didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't have a relationship with God in that kind of way at all. And it's an interesting perspective on life because In the end, to the world around us, to the world at large, to those who have children and grandchildren and who have influence on others, it all boils down to simply leaving some lump sum of money for those behind them. But because we are Christians, because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we know that while that kind of thing may be helpful in some economic way, For those who are left behind, the real and lasting legacy for us to leave behind that far outweighs any value of sum of money is a godly example. The better legacy is a godly progeny. So it is ensuring, really, that the ones that we have influence over, the ones that we have responsibility and care for in our homes and in our life, The greater legacy is for us to share the truth concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and how that relationship affects every other relationship that they will ever endure in life. In fact, I would even argue tonight that to do the opposite, to do the opposite than teaching them the truth, to share with them the things like Paul Harvey said about life or to neglect the task of sharing the truth of God's word, is really described by one very descriptive word in the scriptures. And that word is fool. Fool. The word fool, in all of its forms in the Bible, and how it's translated for us under the term in English as fool, is found 187 times in all of the scriptures, and 75 of those times is found 
in the book that we know by the name of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. So when the Bible speaks about foolishness in any way, 40% of the time it speaks about it in the book of Proverbs. In one of our church Bible studies recently, we did a a study in the book of Proverbs, and we came away with one simple understanding. When you boil it all down, one understanding of the entire book of Proverbs is actually just this, that the book is a book of wisdom. That's pretty profound, isn't it? Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It is a book of wisdom, and yet we don't run to it very often. We talk about it, we think about it, we know it's in the Bible, And yet we don't run to it all that often when, in fact, wisdom is the simplest form of meaning just skilled living. So when when the Bible speaks of wisdom, i.e. like the book of Proverbs, it's talking about skilled living. And so if we think of Proverbs in that way, then we can say that the book of Proverbs is God's counsel on how we can live a spiritually and physically skillful life. How we can live under God's counsel to live a spiritually and physically skillful life. So it is, it's a very profitable book for any of us to study, and it is filled with instruction for navigating away from a life of foolishness. It is filled with principles and truths to to lead us away from what the title of my message here tonight is, the reality of raising a fool. So I've entitled it that way because I just want us to hear the information in a strange way so that we'll go away and not forget it. Uh, It's really easy, particularly when we're constantly under the teaching of God's word to one thing stacks upon another over and over again and somebody will say to you what did you learn two weeks ago from the Bible and you can't remember what you were in because another thing is on top of that already your own Bible study and reading and all these kinds of things so I want us to not forget this and so instead of us learning how to raise wise children I want us to learn how to be sure we raise fools because I believe if we see what it is we may already be doing to raise fools, learning how easy it is for us to raise a fool, then maybe, maybe by God's grace, we'll change that direction so that those who are under our influence by way of our example will not turn out in that way. Some time ago, I, I, I took my Bible one morning in my own time of my own devotion time, and I spent a, a few hours just weeding my way through the book of Proverbs and writing down the characteristics of a fool as described by God. And in a very short amount of time, I listed 50 characteristics, 50 characteristics of a fool. And tonight, you'll be glad to know I'm not going to give us all 50 but I am going to give us five. I'm going to boil them down, or boil many of them down, condense them down to just five for us to hold on to. Five principles, five sure ways to raise a fool. Five guarantees, if you will, that will ensure that not only will we be fools ourselves if we do them, but if we continue to do them, then we are ensuring that those who follow in our footsteps will be fools also. 
So five sure ways to raise a fool. So if you have your Bibles, open them to just the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. We'll just start there, and we're going to go through many different Proverbs, so just be ready to flip around quite a bit in this book. It's a wonderful book for that. But five sure ways to raise a fool. Here's lesson number one. Lesson number one for raising a fool. If you're going to raise a fool, then ensure that you teach those who are in your sphere of influence, whoever that is, teach them to despise wisdom. If you want to raise a fool, teach them to despise wisdom. There are several places, of course, in the book of Proverbs where we are exhorted to love wisdom as Christians. As people, we are exhorted by God that we should love wisdom. We are exhorted to embrace it, to take it in, take in wisdom. And then the Bible says, but fools despise wisdom. Fools hate wisdom. Notice in chapter 1, verse 7, it's a very popular verse, a verse maybe we've memorized on our own, simply says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom is that, that knowledge, that understanding for skilled living. They, they despise that and they hate instruction, restraint, anything that would restrain them. This is the actions of a fool. And so the question is asked of fools. You notice in chapter 1, verse 22, if you turn over, the the. Solomon asks this question, how long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? How long will you love being just simple and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? How long will you fools hate wisdom? That's what the Proverbs are saying. And so if we are parents, if we are grandparents, any of us really who have an influence over others, if we're going to ensure that we are raising a fool, then we need to teach them to hate wisdom, despise wisdom. How? By hating wisdom yourself. By hating wisdom yourself. Now, of course, you understand I'm talking in a negative way about something we ought not be doing in order to help us think about what it is we ought to be doing. We want to raise wise children, wise followers of God. And yet here, I'm thinking of it in the negative sense, in the opposite way in which God gives it to us here by saying fools despise wisdom. So if we want to ensure that we're raising a fool, then we need to despise wisdom. Of course, we don't want to do that. So here it is a biblical axiomatic truth that if we hate instruction, if we hate what God says, if we hate the truth of God, then the exact opposite will be true of us, right? If we hate instruction, then we are despisers of wisdom. We must love instruction. We must love wisdom. We say, well, no one would do that. No one would hate wisdom. No one would hate wisdom. No Christian We say, in fact, no person, logically, we might say, would be so foolish to act in such a way that they despise wisdom. Wisdom makes sense, we might say to ourselves, right? Well, here is what despise means in its simplest form. Despise simply means to mock, to mock. 
to mock at wisdom. It means to sneer at it, to, to shrug it off, to treat it as if it's unimportant. Unimportant. And so we say, well, okay, how, how might I be doing that as a Christian? How might I be actually despising wisdom in my Christian life that maybe I'm blind to in my own life? Maybe it's an area in which I need to really work on because I, I seem to not be growing in wisdom. How is it that I might be sneering at it and thereby teaching others in my own family, in my own sphere of influence to hate wisdom? Well, it's a good question. Turn over to Proverbs 5 for a moment. Proverbs 5. Notice what Solomon says beginning in verse 12. And you say, how have I hated instruction? This is the question, and this is the statement that he is making. Oh, how I've hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. So the psalmist, or the uh, Solomon here in Proverbs says, listen, I, I hated instruction. There was, a, there was a time in my life when I, I didn't want it. I, I hated instruction. My heart spurned anyone coming into my life to correct me in any kind of way for the wrong direction I might have been taking. I hated that, and I was close to ruin even amongst those who were God's people. So as much as we learn by example, we all understand that. We learn things by example. So too, we teach by example. We teach by example, and we teach those following us to be fools each and every time we turn our backs on gaining instruction from the truth. Each and every time we spurn or treat it with some kind of lackadaisicalness as if it's unimportant, every time we do that, every time we arbitrarily choose in and of ourselves when God's people are together to not be with God's people, we're not sick. We're not out of town. We're, we're not on vacation. God has given us opportunity. We're awake. We're alive. We're breathing God's air. And yet we just say, you know what? I just don't feel like it today. When we do that, we're spurning the wisdom of God. When we do that, we're teaching others behind us to spurn what God has given us. So every time we stay away from glorifying God and God's people for no reason, we're teaching those who follow us that really truth isn't all that important. Being with God's people isn't always isn't all that important. It's really something you can just treat willy-nilly. You can treat with no sense of sobriety whatsoever. And so by our actions, what are we doing? We are mocking God. We are despising wisdom. We're despising wisdom because God's word clearly tells us that we're not to forsake that. So every time that we choose to not bring the truth to bear in the lives of those who are acting foolishly, any time we arbitrarily choose to say, well, yes, I know this person is caught in sin, I know they're in a trespass, and, but I don't want to get involved because it might cause some kind of relational upheaval within my life and within the relationship. It might put some strain on it. Or any time maybe we don't want to put in the effort to understand the truth of God so that we can correctly apply it to life. Every time we choose to neglect in any kind of way what God has told us to do, we are despising the truth 
And in doing that, we are training others who follow us to do the same. We are mocking the word of God. Just listen to Proverbs 8 and verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. So here, wisdom is speaking once again and saying, I I dwell with prudence. Prudence and wisdom go hand in hand. What is prudence? Prudence is just care. It's caution. It's, it's good judgment. It's making decisions out of that kind of uh, ground. Wisdom, it, it's wisdom in looking ahead. It's, it's foresight on what's going to happen. It's pre-planning. I want some synonyms. I was thinking about synonyms for prudence. Want some thing at synonyms for that? You can think of words like calculation, uh, foresight, forethought. All of those imply attempted provision against some kind of possible contingency that might come up. So, all of those speak of not mocking the truth, not using the truth in such a way or not really using the truth in any kind of way. And any time we stay away from the truth, whether it's our own interaction with the truth personally in our own personal Bible study, whether it's with others who are studying the Bible together as the body of Christ, whether it's not listening to the truth, engulfing ourselves around those who don't walk in the truth, any time we arbitrarily do that, we are despising wisdom. We're saying that God's word isn't important. It's not important. And so what are we doing? We're raising fools in our wake. Those who follow us look at us and go, you know what? If truth's not important to them, why should I treat it as important? And so we're raising fools. I don't know where all of you are in your own lives concerning that, but you do. You do. You know how you treat the word of God. You know how you look at it and think through it. So the question we're asking ourselves here is just what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? How are we treating the word in that way? Are we content with raising fools? Or do we love the wisdom of God as we say? Jesus said these stinging words to his disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Those are stinging words because all of us who are Christians say we love Jesus Christ, and yet far too often we find ourselves not following what he has commanded us to do. And so Jesus is saying, listen, do you spurn my word? Do you hate my word? Do you push it aside as if it's unimportant? So are we content with raising fools? How are we doing with that? So lesson number one for raising fools is just that. Teach them to despise wisdom by despising it yourself. Number two, lesson number two, if you want to raise a fool, teach them to cultivate personal laziness. If you want to raise a fool, teach them to cultivate personal laziness. Proverbs 10 and verse 5 says this, He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. So now you have this contrast going on between a wise son and an unwise son, one who is is, uh, 
acting in such a way that is wise, the other who acts in such a way that brings shame. Shame in Proverbs and in Scripture as a whole is the classic description for the fool. And obviously here in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5, it is the fool who is lazy, right? Laziness brings shame to his life. Laziness seems to me, at least as I survey our society around us, it seems to be an epidemic in our day. Laziness is all over the place. I think you can ask any business owner around. They just can't seem to find anyone to work let alone good workers. Years ago, before moving up here, I lived in Florida, and there was a company in Florida. I don't remember what, the, what kind of company. They might have been a landscape company or something, a home service company. But their company slogan was this. I'll never forget it. I was driving down the highway, and they drove their truck by, and they had a, a, you know, a sign on the side of their truck that was their company logo, and it just said this. Call us. We show up. Call us, we show up. And I thought, wow, wow, here is a company who is dealing with other companies and out marketing other companies and to get business. And their simple slogan is, we do the job. We'll just come and do the job. We're not going to be lazy. That's what they're saying. We just show up and do the job. I was reading a recent humorous column that said this, it was a group of senior citizens who were lounging on the patio of their retirement community. One of them looked up at a flock of birds that were flying over, and he leaned over to his friend, and he said to his friend who had dozed off, Hey, Frank, you better move around. Those look like buzzards that are closing in on us. Right? Frank was asleep. Frank was not doing anything, just sitting there. And the point is, don't get lazy. Keep moving. Keep doing what you need to be doing. In fact, go back to Proverbs 6 for a moment. Because Proverbs 6 tells us one of the smallest animals in God's creation. And to learn from them about how to not be lazy. Notice Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and observe her ways and be wise. You want to be wise? Look at what God's creation does. They have no chief, no officer, no ruler. In other words, there's no one telling them what to do, no one sitting over them and commanding them, hey, do this, you do this, you do this. And even though they don't have that, they prepare prepare their food in the summer, they gather their provision in the harvest. So he's looking at the smallest of animals and he's saying, this animal does all that they need so you can learn from them and you can learn skills for living. And then he says, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? You say, how do, I, how do I teach those who follow after me to be lazy? Well, here's one simple way. Here's one simple way, particularly if you're a parent or a grandparent who has children in your home, let your kids go through life without making any contribution to the life they enjoy. Just let them be in your home, receiving all the benefits of being in your home without any contribution at all. Don't require chores in the home. Let them sleep in all the hours of the day, no matter what. Don't require that they contribute financially to their wants. We all, we all love the easy road. It's, it's easy to be easy. 
We like easy. And as people, we love to sleep in. It just feels good. It feels good to sleep in. It feels good to lay there just a few more minutes. I mean, some of us have a real relationship with our alarm clock. We hit it five or six times, don't we? Right? We just keep hitting the alarm clock. But Proverbs 6 asks this question. How long are you going to lie down? How long are you going to stay there? How long are you going to be in that bed? In fact, Proverbs 26 gives a more vivid description of this than even Proverbs 6. Proverbs 26 and verse 14 says it this way. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard in his bed. So just like a door swings with ease from one direction to the next, the lazy person does that in the bed. They just stay there. They don't get up. So this is what the psalm, this is what the Proverbs is asking. How long are you going to just keep rolling over? Get up. Get up. Get to work. Don't be lazy. So what's the cure to that? Engage in serving others. See, laziness is just a, another example of serving self. It's all about you. But when you engage in serving others, you stop making excuses as to why you can't be involved. You actually have now trained yourself to be involved in the lives of others in some God-glorying activity. And what happens? You're no longer lazy. Proverbs says only fools are lazy. Only fools are lazy. So lesson number one, if you want to raise a fool, teach them to despise wisdom. And number two, teach them to cultivate laziness. Lesson number three. Lesson number three. Teach them to follow their own heart. Teach them to follow their own heart. This this has got to be one of the most dangerous things I ever come across as a pastor. Proverbs 28 in verse 26, says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. The word trust there in the Hebrew language just simply means to put confidence in. Put confidence in. In other words, the one who puts confidence in his own heart the Bible says they're the fool. That's the fool. You want, if someone says, I'm, I'm just following my own heart, there you find a fool. That's a fool, according to God. Someone might say, well, that's pretty hard language. Well, that's God's language. One of the most frightening statements I hear from time to time as a pastor, when someone is struggling about an issue, some life-changing decision they have to make, someone will say to them, well, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. I cringe at that. Why? Because God says, don't do that. Don't follow your heart. It's the worst thing you can do, in fact, to follow your own heart. Why? Because the heart itself is, if left to itself, is the most dangerous thing you have. Don't follow your heart. Jesus said that from the heart flow every kind of wickedness. Just listen, Matthew 15, 19, Jesus said this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. You don't want to follow your heart. You don't want to follow that. You need to follow after God's heart. You need to follow after God's heart. 
Jeremiah 17.9 clearly says the heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it, it asks. A man left to himself can't even understand his own heart. We see that all over the place today in the world. The world has gone mad. It seems as if insanity now is called normalcy. Insanity in our world is craziness. There's nothing more unsafe in our world than to put confidence in your own heart. You say, so what do I trust in then? What do I trust in? Well, Proverbs 3, 7 gives us the answer to that. Or, or, I'm sorry, Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 clearly tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. You see, there in a nutshell really is almost a commentary on all that we're talking about here already tonight. The reality that if you want to be a fool, then, then turn your back on everything, Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says. Yet if you want to be wise, then do what Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says. Don't trust in your own heart, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and then you'll be wise. Trust in the Lord and, and you'll You'll have the wisdom and understanding and knowledge to walk in the right direction. And those who follow you will be wise also. So teach them to despise wisdom. Teach them to be lazy. Teach them to trust their own heart. That's the first three ways to raise a fool. Number four. Number four. You want to raise a fool? Then teach them to speak negatively of others. Teach them to speak negatively of others. Once again, Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6. Notice verse 12 through 14. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a false mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart devises evil continually, who spreads strife. You know, it's just in those two verses, there's six six principles about the one who is a worthless person. The worthless person, the one who's a wicked man, we're talking about the fools here because a fool is a wicked person, a worthless person. They're, they're ones who walk with falseness in their mouth. They wink with their eyes. That means they're, they're, thinking one thing and doing one thing, but winking to let people think they're doing another. They signal with their feet. In other words, they're they're, they're carrying out the deception that they're thinking about. They point with their fingers. In other words, they're pointing over here and saying, hey, go do that, that which is evil. They have perversity in their heart to devise evil continually, and then they spread strife. It all starts with the mouth, though. The mouth can be... Such a dangerous thing. James tells us it's like a flame. It's like a little match. You throw it in the ground. Just one little spark lights the whole forest on fire. So the mouth is a very dangerous thing. The tongue is very destructive. And one of the ways it destroys is by lying. Is one who walks with a false mouth, Proverbs 6 says. So in other words, the fool, 
the fool or the, the worthless person. That's the equated name of the fool here, the worthless person, the wicked man. In other words, by the way, the worthless, the worthless person is, is described here because it, it speaks of devoid of godliness. That's the idea. This is a, a godless person. So to walk this way is to be carrying your life as if you don't care about God at all. To have this reflect your life is to say, I don't care about God. So the fool is one who carries about his life by lying. He just lies about everything. In fact, the word here is false mouth. It's translated deceit. In the Really, that's a... It's somewhat of a better translation, deceit. It's the word for baiting fish, baiting fish. So a fool speaks with luring words. That's the idea. When you go fishing, you put a a lure on the hook, you lure the fish in so he thinks he's getting something real, and the next thing you know, the only thing he got is dinner in your pan, right? He he lost the, the, the challenge, this is what it's saying about the fool. The fool speaks with luring words, with baiting words. They're worthless. They walk with a false mouth. Words that bait, words that catch others wrongfully. So they speak highly about themselves, right? They, they have these high words about themselves, but they embellish what they really are. And in fact, Proverbs 18, over to Proverbs 18, it says, they complain about others, and they don't only just complain about others, they complain about others to others, and they argue against the truth. Notice Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 2. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. So it isn't about trying to gain understanding of anything. It's just simply about sharing my, my words and my opinions and, and, and having it my way no matter what goes on, quarreling about any wisdom that comes about. So lying comes in a whole lot of different forms. I think the worst part or worst kind of lying is gossipy slander. Gossipy slander. Right? Those who, who speak not only gossip about others but speak it in such a way as to destroy others proverbs 10 verse 18 shares it this way he who conceals hatred has lying lips and he who spreads slander is a fool proverbs 10 verse 18 he who conceals hatred has lying lips and he who spreads slander is a fool so if there's some kind of hating going on, the fool says, I'll just cover that up. I'll just cover that up. I won't expose that kind of hatred because I want things to go downhill. But the Bible says we're to never be a part of that, never be a part of spreading slander about others. Why? Because God hates that. God hates those who, who spread slander about others. He says that in Proverbs 6. In verse 16 through 19, there are six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. The Lord hates haughty eyes, a lying tongue, 
hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Serious stuff. I mean, God hates that. So if you want to raise a fool, then teach them to despise wisdom by not pursuing wisdom yourself. Say, I'm a good Christian. I'm one who loves Jesus Christ. I love the Bible, but I never spend any time with God's people or I spend very little with God's people. I just arbitrarily choose when and if I'll be with God's people. I don't really, I'm not really engaged with them. Well, that's despising wisdom. Teach them to cultivate laziness. Be lazy yourself. Those who follow you will learn suit. They'll be lazy too. Don't be involved in ministry. You'll teach others not to be involved in ministry. It really doesn't matter. God doesn't really care. Teach them to trust in themselves. Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Do what feels good to you. And then fourthly, teach them to speak negatively of others. Teach them to go around gossiping, tearing others down rather than building others up. And then lastly, the last way to raise a fool is just teach them to mock at sin. Teach them to mock at sin. Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, verse 9 says just that. Fools mock at sin. Fools mock at sin. The word sin there really is the idea of guilt. Fools mock at being guilty. They mock at being guilty. In fact, folly, verse 8 says, wisdom, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Right? They lie to even themselves. They're, they're mocking at their own sin. They don't see any reason to find any need to repent. Right? I think we know what mocking is. Right? We talked about it earlier. Right? So here they're just not taking it as sin. They're, they're despising it. They're scorning it. It's not serious. Well, if we don't take our sin serious, if we, when we sin, don't take it serious, those who follow behind us certainly will learn to not take sin serious. And certainly God has taken sin serious. God sent his son to die for sin. That's pretty serious. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Romans chapter 6, tells those who believe upon Jesus Christ how to deal with this issue. How do we deal with the issue of sin in our own life when it comes to sin? Proverbs 6, or I mean uh, Romans 6, beginning in verse 12, he says, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So here you go, right? You're allowing sin by your neglect of dealing with sin, by your lack of, of seeing it seriously. You're just neglecting it and letting it go as if it means nothing. Paul says, listen, if you're a Christian, don't let that happen. Don't let sin reign in you. Don't let it be controlling you. Don't present yourself to those kinds of things that are unrighteous things, but, that's a strong contrast in the original language, but present yourself to God 
Change what you're doing as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Why? Because sin isn't to be your master, verse 14. Sin's not to be your master. You're not under that anymore. So don't let sin reign in you. Destroy it first. What happens when we don't do that? What happens when we don't do that? Well, I want to take us back to the Old Testament a little farther back than Proverbs and go back to Numbers 33. Just close out with these few passages and we can just let this sit on us. Numbers 33. What happens when we don't deal with sin seriously in our life? Well, we get an example of this from the nation of Israel, Numbers 33 beginning in verse 50. It says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan, opposite Jericho, and he said, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones, destroy all their molten images, and demolish all their high places. You'll take possession of the land and live in it, for I have given you the land to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your families. To the larger you shall give more inheritance, to the smaller you give less inheritance. Whatever the lot falls to anyone, that shall be his. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. And notice verse 55. But... If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come about that those whom you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes and as thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land which you live. And it shall come about that as I plan to do to them, so I will do to you. So God, of course... Israel is about to enter into the promised land, and he's telling them what they need to do, and they go there, and yet there's consequences if they do not. So deal with the issues, he's saying. Deal with what is set before you just as I tell you to do it, and if you don't, trouble is going to ensue. Now turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 says the same thing to them. Chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you are entering to possess it and shall clear away the nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you and you shall defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them and you shall not give your daughters to their sons and you shall not take their daughters for your sons for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods and the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and and he will quickly destroy you. So he gives them the same instruction, and he, he makes it even more clear. Listen, when you go in there, you can't even, you can't intermingle with them at all. You can't, can't do anything with them. You have to do what I told you. You have to deal with this issue that I'm setting before you. Destroy it utterly, or it will bring trouble to your life. So what did Israel do? 
We'll go over to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. Notice verse 11. This is Joshua's farewell address to them. Joshua says in beginning in verse 11, So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them, so that you associate with them, they with you know with certainty that the Lord your God will continue to drive these nations out from before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you have perished from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So here is Israel now going into the land. They have dispossessed many of the nations before them. They have done what they're supposed to. They've had some trouble along the way because they disobeyed God, but they've learned some lessons. And now here is Joshua about ready to go off the scene. He's telling them the exact same thing. Listen, when you deal with trouble, you need to deal with it like God says. What happens? Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Now the angel of the Lord, beginning in verse 1, Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I also said, I will drive them out before you, but they shall become as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And it came about when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they realized, listen, we haven't dealt with things as God has told us to deal with things. We didn't take it as seriously as God has told us to take it. And so there's trouble in our life. And this is exactly what happens with us when it comes to sin issues. If we don't deal with them the way God tells us to deal with them, if we don't mortify the deeds of the flesh, if we don't do what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, then trouble ensues in our life. We are unwise people. We're mocking at sin when we do that. You say, well, what's the cure? What's the cure to that so that we don't fall prey to that? Well, go back to Proverbs. Go back to Proverbs chapter 30. Almost the end of the book of wisdom. Proverbs 30. Notice what it says. The words of Agar, the son of Jakeh, the oracle. The man declares to Ithiel and to Ithiel, and Ukal, surely I am more stupid than any man, and I do not have the understanding of a man. Neither have I learned wisdom, nor do I have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. 
So do not add to his words, lest he reprove you, and you be proved a liar. Two things I ask of thee. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Now look at verse 32. The psalmist says in that same chapter, verse 32, right? He says at the beginning, I've been stupid. I haven't listened to these things. This is who God is. This is what God has said. This is what God has done. I've realized I'm wrong. I'll go to God. I'll say, look, I, don't, don't, don't dig me up and, and, and make me better than anything. I just, I just want just enough. I just, I just want to not be a curse to your name. In verse 32, he says, here's how you fix it. If you've been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have plotted evil, then put your hand on your mouth. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, just simply acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your sin. Turn from it. He's like, he's giving that picture like Job when God rebuked Job. Job said, I repent in dust and ashes. I just put my hand over my mouth. I just am quiet before God. Acknowledge my sin. Know what it is and refuse to repeat it again. I'm not going to go down the way of a fool. If we do that, if we will repent of our sin, treat sin seriously, if we will teach others not to despise wisdom because we're not despising wisdom, if we teach others not to cultivate laziness because we're not cultivating laziness, if we teach them to trust not in themselves but to trust in God, and teach them by our own lives to speak not negatively of others, but to speak positively of others, honoring God and not mocking our own sin. And if we do that, then we will leave a heritage behind us that is a wise heritage, a heritage of children and those in our spheres of influence that will be wise and at the very least, they will just simply be able to say this, even if they refuse the truth and act foolish themselves, even though they've seen it, they will be able to say, I'm foolish because I chose that, not because you showed me that. You showed me the truth by your life. And so they, even if they reject it, can thank you for being wise. And so God simply says, I just want you to be wise. I want you to know prudence, know wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that. And if we'll do that, we won't raise fools. We'll raise wise. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your truth. I know it's been a rapid fire walk through the Proverbs here tonight, but maybe in each one of us it'll stimulate greater study of your truth. It'll help us to look deeper into these things that we might know you more, that we might understand your word better, that we might be able to check our own life and look at it through the lens of scripture so that we might not be fools. Lord, certainly in my own life, there are areas where I realize that I need to be better, need to do things better. The influence upon others could be so negatively impacting 
them as well as your name. And so help me to see those clearly. Help each one of us to see them clearly in our lives so that we can turn from them, mortify any of those deeds of the flesh that so easily entangle us, that we might walk wisely with you so that you receive the honor and glory in and through us and others behind us see Christ in us. That's our prayer. Lord, be glorified in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.